Hello and welcome to Stories from the Christmas Door. This is episode 3 of season 3 from Rona to Riots and Back Again. Recorded July 4th, Freedom Day, 2020. That's been a long time since our last episode, since our last true episode, because there was, uh, I did a few little live stream playing video games on Facebook that I don't know if any of you really saw or not. <laughs> um, anyway, COVID locked down since uh, March 15th in Alberta, um, eased up on May 25th, so just over two months, uh, two months and 10 days practically. Uh, but then, of course, Another thing happened on May 25th, and then a whole bunch of stuff started happening. Uh, but yeah, there's a few things to talk about. So Doom Eternal launched during that time frame, as did Res Resident Evil 3. Good games played them. Res uh, Final Fantasy VII's remaster has been launched. I haven't played it yet. That did pretty well. Uh, recently, The Last of Us Part 2 came out like two weeks ago, and there's a bit of controversy about that which you know I, I because I can't I haven't played the game yet I can't even talk I haven't played the original Last of Us like it didn't like the idea of the game interested me but not enough to get me to play it I'm considering playing it but yeah the controversy thing is like hey everybody do you do do you um there's definitely better gaming informed YouTubers and news sites that have way better information on what's going on so I was gonna say there's a bit of a controversy one side or the other, I can't take a side because I haven't played the game and I don't know much about it. I watched Angry Joe's review of it, and it's like, okay, that's your opinion. Um, I generally line up with you, but because I didn't play the original game, I have no frame of reference, so whatever. But yeah, been a pandemic. <laughs> it's still going on. Jeez, uh, it's, it's month seven of the year. We're over halfway through the year, and I'm finally getting episode four out. Uh, it's kind of embarrassing, but... Really, when the lockdown happened, most of the news of the world kind of ended besides from working on vaccines, easing up lockdown restrictions, uh, and just like speculation of how this virus spread that way. And we might be getting close to a vaccine, but it's still probably 2021 before it's actually launched uh, effectively. So that's a ways away. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to be Q1, Q2, or Q3, maybe even Q4 of 2021. So that's something to consider. Um, data about its infection, where it's coming from, there's way better news sources on that. Although, interesting enough, you don't hear a lot from virologists and like, labs that are studying this. You hear a lot from uh, government spokespeople. Now, not that the government spokespeople in the health industry isn't, aren't wrong, but, they're, but they have a political agenda to speak. As do the virologists, to be honest. Like... Uh, what was it? Uh, Brett Weinstein um, passed the uh, on Joe Rogan last week. Uh, 1496, I believe, was the episode. Uh, pushed the idea. I didn't really push, but said, like, the way it's spreading so quickly makes him think it could have been made. It, like, the original COVID virus that COVID-19 is from was in a lab was being studied and it was made to artificially infect and spread faster to make it easier to study in the lab and that was the leak. I'm not a virologist, so I don't know. <laughs> but he did say, uh, it's interesting that they're not speaking up about it because if it was a lab experiment that went wrong and spread out, it's going to cause a backlash against labs not taking experiments correctly. And they believe it was the Wuhan uh, Viral Institute, which has had 
uh, not viral infection, but infectious disease institute, which has had security failures before, even though it's a level four facility. So, not saying it did happen that way, and frankly, I'm not, I'm completely out of the loop, as is the vast majority of the people of the world about this. And even people who study virology and microbiology aren't like up to speed on this for some reason. Like We're not hearing from them. Now, is there a political reason or not? I don't know. There might be for some. For others, it would be expedient to tell the truth. At least we hope that way. So then, of course, July 25th comes around, and the unfortunate and heinous killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis. Then we have uh, protesting, good protesting, and then rioting. And then we have the government taking sides, like not, not taking sides during the fight, but basically clearing it okay for large groups of people to rally together during protests outside, some wearing PPE, some not, um, which may or may not have increased the spread of of COVID. There are studies in the U.S. that are very questionable, like let's just say that they're not scientifically being done, they're definitely more being pumped out by news media, that, co that the race riots, uh, not race riots, I shouldn't say that, because uh, that's completely incorrect, the protests and demonstrations of police brutality followed by the Black Lives Matter movements and stuff like that may have helped stop the spread of COVID. And in a weird, twisted way, there could be possibly correct where the people who were already sick were the people who were mingling in the crowds and the people who weren't sick were the ones who stayed home like that's a weird way or maybe it was the people who were healthy were the ones who went out the people who were sick stayed home i don't know um maybe people just stayed home i've i uh, it just seems like there's been a lot of studies coming out very quickly involving covid19 that then within a few weeks of them coming out they're peer, they're properly peer reviewed, and it's like, well, they they're they're like setting studies, like what they were aiming for, their experimental, like their variables were very tailored for a specific result. Like they were basically making making the tests, making the study confirm a bias versus saying did it and looking at the evidence and doing it. It's like they manipulated the data in a certain way. But now it's spreading again in the United States heavily. It's not spreading in Canada that much. Um, like I th Alberta has got it mostly under control. It seems to be international travel is going to be where it's going to flare up again outside of the U.S. So <laughs> there's that going on. The problem is, is that with, the, um, with politicians from around the world giving the okay for the protest movements to gather in large quantities of people very close distance, again, some countries, people were much, some countries and areas, some people were more uh, on the ball of wearing protective masks and protective clothing to make sure they had a lower chance of spreading and infecting other people if they did have it and lowering their chance of catching it if they didn't. But then there are other places where it was absolutely just get on out. And in some cases, cases uh, we'll have to see. History will like have to record that information. We don't know right now. But the problem with that is, is that they've now tried to set precedent where certain groups get uh, better, uh, you know, get to bend the rules more for themselves versus uh, other groups. So churches can't can't congregate more than fifty people in California. But if you get a, a, a protest of ten thousand people, that's perfectly fine. The government will sign off on that. 
And there is an argument to be said that being outdoors may actually, like the virus may be more susceptible to UV light and being dies very quickly that way. So being outdoors might actually be safer. But we'll have to see. Now we have the issue where in New York State they're trying to subpoena people for contact tracing. Uh, like, like there, there's been a civil liberties nightmare following the pandemic that, unfortunately, governments rarely give up powers that they get. They rarely give up powers. So, um, especially powers that are granted in emergency, they rarely return them to the population. We'll see if that holds true. Um, I'm hoping that they give powers up, that, that, that um, there are some regulations that are being stripped to make it easier for people to get food and supplies that were o onerous regulations that basically did absolutely, like had no real benefit, but were just historical, that were stripped in the U.S. and in Canada. Hopefully that continues, that like when COVID, uh, when the pandemic ends and like we, the world can come together and say, okay, everyone's healthy now, everyone's safe now, we don't have to worry about it respreading outside of a few minor places which we can contain way quickly that these regulations will stay off the books and just basically be like yeah those were useless we should have gotten rid of them a long time ago hopefully but let's be realistic how how uh, how likely is that but again like you know I've, if there is a second wave and people have seen the hypocrisy of government we're choosing some groups that can get into large populations versus other groups that have to stay artificially small or restricted People may not listen the second time around during the second, if there is a second wave. And I actually say if or if slash when. I'm more of on the when possibility. Um, the hopefulness of the, the world, because we're still on, most of the world is still in a hair trigger about this, how quickly it will be able to just shut down the places that have it and find out how the spread happens. The problem with the first COVID outbreak was China wasn't very forthcoming with information. And it was already spreading human to human, and there were flights, international flights from all over the world going to Wuhan and other areas of China where people who have infect, been affected by it could have traveled. It's unfortunate, but it does show some nations do put more energy on economic value you of themselves at the moment versus the expense of tomorrow. And let's be honest, almost all governments do that. They look at what they can get done today, not the effects that that will have tomorrow, or if the effects are negative to their populations. So there's that. Hopefully that happens. And then, you know, as I said, the unfortunate, terrible killing of George Floyd, uh, brought on by the February, um, brought on by police, uh, Derek Chauvin, and all that heinous stuff that's happened. And, uh, first, the legitimate protests of police brutality, and towards the uh, towards both people Af the African American community, especially considering that they have a more uh, higher chance of physical altercations with police. Now, now I liked how Scott Adams put it: how how people would argue, oh, more 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 um, African Americans are killed by police in the United States. Well, no, it's actually uh, you're higher, you're more likely to if you're a uh, Caucasian to be killed by police in the United States. But he did say, but who has more interactions with the police? Who has more interactions with the chance of getting physical with police on the African-American community? So there is a question there about that. Um, also, th there really was a tinderbox going on in the world. The lockdown, uh, the r release in May, early May about the, like late April, early May about Ab Ahmed Arbery, 
and that that killing and how the local prosecutor swept it under the rug, said there was nothing wrong here. The local police didn't do much. Uh, then we had Brianna, uh, what's her name? Uh, Brianna Taylor, uh, which now the police, like the police involved in the shooting were fired, uh, one of them, especially since the evidence came out that he had no way of seeing what he was shooting at, and he just fired 11 shots into the property, eight, eight hitting Brianna and... Uh, one landing in somewhere else in the apartment and two penetrating to the next door apartment. So then you had that. And you had it on their mind, like, things are going weird here. Like, plus, the fact that the rest of the world was really quiet, like, you really saw local news, like, what was going on locally, way more amplified. Which, in a way, is actually kind of good. I think local news is generally better. But then these things would happen, and the local news would pick up on it, which is right to do, like, Bad actors need to be held accountable, and unfortunately, police forces for a considerable period of time, specifically in the United States, uh, less so in Canada, but I'm fairly certain that um, if I did research, I could find major problems with Canadian police forces, this is, um, such as covering police unions, protecting um, officers who are questionable at best. Uh, there's a lot to unpack in that, and there should be way more accountability when it comes to police. They are the government agents that are given firearms and have the right to use deadly force from the get-go. Uh, now, there's training about them that they're supposed to be uh, standing, you know, supposed to do de-escalation training, but then you also find out that there's training where, you know, if somebody's, you know, swinging their fists, use the taser, use the pepper spray, like, you know, escalate your own capabilities, that sort of thing. Like, if they come at you with a knife, shoot them with a gun sort of thing. thing. So it, it makes it hard where... Uh, and in the adrenaline of the cases, the fact that a uh, considerable number of police forces, uh, Canada and the U.S., have the initial physical when they get in, they have very, um, some places have very limited qualification standards going forward outside of, like, basically you don't have certain diseases. You get very little money for training for your firearms. So if you are, like, if you want to be competent with your service, this weapon in the police force, um, in many places, you have to spend your own money training with that weapon at going to paying for your own courses, going to your, the range at your own time, on your own expenses. Um, and then you get the thing where police also are used by municipalities to extract more funds from the population via, you know, I, I saw the other day uh, in Ontario how the Ontario police uh, don't call speeding tickets tickets. They call them tags. And that's something they have to do. Do um, now. There's an argument that some of that, so that uh, citations and stuff like that are for safety. But I, uh, but also, it makes you think. Um, Reason magazine put out an article saying, should traffic vic, um, enforcement officers be carrying firearms? Because it seems like uh, that's a place where you have direct interaction in a vehicle that is, like, if it's that their vehicle. And in states where a vehicle is considered an extension of your house and you're allowed to keep a firearm in your house, there could be a gun in that car. So then, of course, police think that and they're always more apprehensive. Would it be a thing of like if it was a different uh, – it wasn't an armed police force, but it was more like a civil um, civil traffic enforcement thing, sort of like bylaw officers who were the ones who were doing it. And they didn't have guns. They weren't violent. Um, it was really more about like they give you the ticket, get – um, they'd look up your information. Um, 
if it needed to escalate, they'd call in actual police if they needed to, like, you know, seize your car, stuff like that. But really, their action is just to get you to sign a ticket saying, like, okay, fine, I understand that you're... <coughs> Excuse me about that. Um, you know, just signing that you were speeding or, like, you had some dangerous driving. But, like, simple th things that are could be handled administratively differently. Really. And the use of a gun maybe isn't always the best thing. Now, are there traffic stops that could get violent deadly? Yeah. So there's always an exception to the rule, but would it be... And the problem with giving... Uh, like, you know, I... I, I what was it? Um, Joe Rogan had Will, Chaco uh, Willink, Willink on um, uh, episode 1492, and the year 1496 was Koya Noir. Um... And they both talked about uh, training for the police, like how they should be have considerable more time in training, uh, more more dedicated training for specific scenarios. Um, you know, like maybe twenty to thirty percent of their time, maybe forty percent of their time is training versus enforcement stuff like that. There's arguments to be made about that to make police better. I compiled a small list of stuff um, that I thought would. Like, just from the libertarian community, it's just things that would also put more accountability in. So police, yes, need to be trained, definitely need better training, uh, need more resources to make sure they're doing their job correctly. But they also need accountability and reform of the system that um, protects police from actions that could be seen as bad. Uh, so let's go to the first one, qualified immunity, uh, which was a term made up by the Supreme Court as a way to basically say that uh, agents of the state, agents of the government, could do their jobs with a reasonable degree of protection of personal liability if they thought what they were doing was completely within their purview and was not violating of the Constitution. Now, the only way it would be defined as violating the Constitution is if there was a court president saying it was. So we have an information of... Uh, one example Raisin does is uh, two officers in California stealing $225,000, um, both in assets and in money, from a gaming place that they thought was an illegal casino. Turns out it wasn't. Uh, the facility was never, they raided never suffered, a, uh, never was charged. None of the owners were ever charged. Turns out everything they were doing was legit. But uh, assets, money, and rare coins were taken, and the police were basically said they have qualified immunity because uh, stealing was not clearly established, like taking those things and using them themselves was not clearly established under the Constitution as stealing for the police officers. That's a big what the fuck. Like, you take something that isn't yours and you use it in a way that is, like, you take something by force from somebody who has the complete right to possess that item and it's a non-voluntary transaction, that's stealing. Which is taxation as well. <laughs> but I bet that's how some of the courts sprung that. It's like, well, we tax the people based on their assets, on their income, on all this other stuff. Eh, yeah, these guys have insurance, whatever. That should have been immediately like, no, those officers have no qualified immunity because they took possessions that weren't even being used as evidence. And they used it. Now, if they took that stuff, put an evidence locker, it was tagged, it was receipted, and then when the no charges were done, the DA releases it back to the, and the police department releases it back with no damage. Everything's there. Everything's accounted for. That'd be different. I think vast majority of people would say, okay, that's annoying as fuck, but that's fine. Because at least my assets came back to me. Let's go to the next thing. 
I bring on civil asset forfeiture, where police agencies can take money or assets if they believe they are being used in a crime or profit from a criminal action, even if the person they take it from does not see charges ever brought against them, and that criminal action is never defined. One example, uh, two men from Florida, one is a owner of a trucking company, drives um, a couple of hundred thousand dollars in cash up to New Jersey. Uh, no, it wasn't New Jersey. I think it was uh, Massachusetts to buy a truck while they're heading through New Jersey to drive up there uh, to Massachusetts to buy this truck. They're stopped by the New Jersey State Police and the money is seized because they thought, oh, this is drug money. Two men never get charged. They sue the New Jersey police. As far as I know, that is not finished through. And the, and the uh, police force, the, the uh, city and all that, it becomes part of their budget. And that's, that's sort of profit policing, which is a problem that needs to be addressed. And, and um, Recent does a good t- job talking about that, where there are incentives of the police to bring about uh, temporary charges enough to take assets from people and then drop the charges but keep the assets because it's a civil action, not a criminal action, why they seize their assets. So then you have to sue the city, which is more money being spent. Uh, the city can drag it out. They might, you might get a settlement if you have like a really good legal team, and the city's like, oh, I don't want to freaking deal with this. But that can take years to do, and in many cases, it does take two to six years to fight through the court system. There's continuous appeals because the city has near unlimited funds. Also, it doesn't ever come back out of the police budget. It comes out of the general uh, city budget. So then there's an argument against that, where um, police force liability, where the police force should be, um, should pay for their wrongdoings and, uh, and stuff like that. So like, let's say the police force, uh, let's go, um, I don't know, uh, let's, let's, let's make them an imaginary police force that their, their budget for a year is $800 million, something close to like the Calgary police services. And during that year, a bad event happens. Let's not go to, um, like, not a death, but a wrongful imprisonment and injury of a person and seizure of the property, and the person is released, sues, because there's no apology and no refunding, because a lot of police services just release you and then don't issue a public apology. You usually have to sue to get that, and wins and gets settlement in court, um, not settlement, but gets, like, a win in court, and the court issues a $10 million payment, like, as that's what the police have to do. Instead of that coming out of the city's general funds, the police un- police department now loses $10 million from their budget, straight out. They have to pay for that from their own services. I think that would make police forces uh, spend more time on training and making sure their officers aren't making bad decisions. Also, restricting profit policing, like, if this was punishment for it, like, let's say they seized it, you got your assets back, plus restitution payments, which could be 10 to $15 million or whatever the heck you're able to win. Sometimes you can win a lot more depending on how heinous it is and how, like, there's cover-ups and lies and you're able to unearth that. I think the police force uh, and police department should f- take that funding themselves. That's if they can prove that the police department, the officers had qualified immunity when they did it. They did it. Like, they make the argument of qualified immunity. Frankly, I think the qualified immunity thing should go first. Like, you can sue the officers and the department for allowing them. Because if the officers do something bad and the department fires them and then refunds you, you, like, basically goes out and says, okay, we effed up. Here it goes. Um, These guys don't have qualified immunity. You can go after them. That's one step. If the department says, oh, no, no, these guys are perfectly fine. It's qualified immunity for them. Then you sue the department, and that comes out of the department's funds. The drug war in the United States uh, and partially in Canada. Not as much in Canada anymore, but 
Um, there was incentives to search for narcotics at, ma at many ac actions, such as police uh, vehicle stops, setting up these, um, what are they called? Um, you know, like road, road uh, you know, check stops in Canada, they, like various roadblocks, which, according to the Supreme Court, actually isn't legal. They need to, you, you need to have probable cause for cars to be searched. Fortunately, most of the uh, executive actions that have been done in the past few decades have made that, like, a will apologize after the fact if nothing's wrong. Like, there are some videos, not sovereign citizens, but, like, people who know their rights who are intimidated by, like, customs and border well within the country. Like, you know, like, 70 or 80 miles into Texas, a guy driving his truck, he hasn't crossed the border. He gets stopped, and the, um, the border agents are just very much like, you're not going anywhere until you let us search and, like, you get everything. It's like, well, I didn't cross the border. I'm an in-state trucking thing. But because they're always searching for something like that gives them purview because it's a because then it goes from a policing action to a, a national security action and Department of Homeland Security has a higher, um, let's say, a lower threshold to do their searches than regular police need. They they go for more like likely suspicion than probable cause, like reasonable suspicion is the standard they try to go with. And if somebody's being like, oh, no, no, you can't. It's like, oh, that's reasonable suspicion right now. It's like, hey, stop. Can we search your thing? Well, no, I got a deadline to meet. Oh, reasonable suspicion, I'm going to stop you and search you anyway. And of course, the drug war has helped that, as has the war, global war on terror. Er, um, but you also saw, like, drug war had the militarization, which brings on Breonna Taylor, where the police said they couldn't do a, a, a knocking raid. I mean, frankly, based on the evidence, like a lot of knock, uh, knock search warrant raids really are just knocking, slam the door, or this is the police, blah, blah, open up, kick the door in and go in. It, the only difference is instead of announcing just before you slam the door open with a ram or something, this is the police. You slam the door open with a ram and you just rush in there. Rush in there. The, the slight, I mean, there is a slightly other difference. Like the police, um, when they do their stack up in preparation to breach your pro premises on a search warrant, they're generally more visible about their role up. But still, they do breach in a violent manner when you just say, like, oh, no, I'm not over my place, or, like, you know, you're not listening to them, or something else is going on, or, you know, you may not even be home, and it's still, bam, break in right now. Oh, <laughs> So there is that also, the fact that how departments have spun it, that uh, because narcotics uh, criminals destroy their evidence so quickly, they have to go fast, they have to go hard, uh, they usually need SWAT teams or, spe or heavier weapons with them. Um, so there's that. Uh, what else? Um... You know, police unions, police unions need ref reformation. They should be defending good officers and uh, forcing the bad ones off the force. Like, if there's a bad officer in the police union, even he's got seniority, if he's bad and he's causing problems, like, the police union should be, oh, we don't we don't defend him anymore. We aren't going to give him liability protection. Uh, they should try to remove their bad eggs. But a lot of the time, it's every, they just it's all about members. So even if uh, 10 to 20% of their members are legitimately bad eggs in a police force, it's 20% of uh, that, that police force's union that, uh, payroll that you're getting now. You're getting 20% more payroll pay in to your union for lobbying causes and stuff like that. Which, some of the money in police and uh, unions go to defending their workers. Good portion of it goes to lobbying. It's, and they get this um, near, near on... Un, um, unrestricted capability of forcefully bringing people into the union. Like, 
if I go enjoy the Calgary Police, I pr- probably have to join like the city union, the Calgary union, like the Alberta Union of uh, Provincial Employees, like you know various employment unions that are civil civic unions that for civil services. I may not have a choice in that. Now, is there a benefit to unions in the private sector? Absolutely, they create a defense against um, profiteering motive, like rent seeking only. Um, you know, you know, investors who are only seeking to make the maximum profit for themselves and to could potentially harm and exploit the workers. There are arguments for that that come out of the Industrial Revolution from uh, England and then extend to the United States. Private sector unions have a point to exist. They have become bloated and they need to be cleaned up in some cases because they still also defend bad actors in the public in the private sector. But the public sector ones are much more vitriolic in defending all their people and they are much less willing to compromise and they make um they always make really 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 like statements about how it's just your safety if you if you if you don't think with us your safety's gone so like the LA police union when there was the threat of the LA budget being cut by 10% is like it's going to slow down or downright stop um murder rape and assault investigations it's like you know, there'll be less officers on the force, okay? So that's your first thing. Is like, the things that people matter the most about, you immediately threaten that. Versus saying, oh, maybe we could uh, cut the budget of um, unnecessary travel for police forces. Like, you know, sending officers away to do um, ambassadorship jobs overseas. Or, you know, doing these, high, like, very expensive, high-profile sting operations that don't... Uh, that, that rarely pay off or, you know, doing all these um, jobs that, that when you start breaking it down, there are definitely money to be ma- saved at police headquarters. Oh, like all the officers need a uh, need an iPhone 10 or whatever or iPhone 11 or like they all need like a mid-tier gaming PC that costs $4,000 or something like that. Like, like there are ways to save money. It's like uh, uh, the police cars, like we need a new... Um, we need this new model, and this is what we've all agreed on. These are the equipment that has to be in there. I mean, granted, some of that's also civic and department set of budgets, but there are ways that there are monies to be saved in police police departments. So the union also trying to play like you will be in more danger. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to buy a gun then. Then They really don't know how to play play that, and they just get themselves angry. Now, police unions are typically conservative unions. But conservatives aren't happy about how they're going. Another example is the Broward County um, for the Stoneman High, where Stoneman High, uh, the shooting there was by that um, jackass, where the police resource officer, a school resource officer who was fired, had to be rehired with back pay because it was not right for uh, those sheriff's department to fire him. It was incorrect to fire him based on his actions. It's like, What? The guy is supposed to protect people, but of course then you learn in the United States that the Supreme Court in the U.S. has basically made that police have no, uh, you have no expectation of the police to risk their lives to save you. That can be, that can happen, but that's not part of police purview. It's about maintaining law, but not about saving lives. So that's an interesting uh, thing. So of course he went back, and you wonder if that's going to happen to some of the uh, other officers, like um, the officer who got fired in the Breonna Taylor thing you wonder if that's going to be 
how that uh, goes. How they're just going to like sweep that under the rug that way. Which would be terrible. But that, that could exactly be how they plan to do it. It's like They fire the officer who killed who shot her, or uh, there's a slight investigation. Um, everything rolls over. Nobody really cares. <laughs> and then uh, it rolls on that it's not a problem, and four or five years later, he's hired, and he gets a certain degree of back pay. Wouldn't that be nice for us? Like, you know, you're wrongfully fired, fired from a job at Ford, and five years later, they hire you back after all the investigation, all the BS, that, like, some injury in the factory happened, and they blamed you because you were in that area when it happened, even though you weren't involved in it. And then they hire you back and they pay you half. Wouldn't that be amazing? But that almost never happens in the private sector. In the public sector, it happens all the time. And that's wrong. (laughs) I think we can all agree that's wrong. Son of a bitch. And then there's other arguments to be made that could definitely be cleaned up. Um, There's another one. And then, uh, so that's... Most of that. Um, also, increased general accountability to be made. Like, I don't think... Uh, I read a story, again, it was on Reason, where uh, the San Francisco Police Department were doing a raid of a journalist who lived in San Francisco. And the commanding officer, sir, of the uh, group that was going to do it, sent a n- memo down to all the officers, like, make sure to turn off your, smart f- your, uh, your body cams before you enter the property. Because we don't want any footage of what you see. Especially since the um, the search was actually illegal in the end, it turns out they had no right to do that because he was questioning um, various state uh, city policies, and the police department weren't happy that they were in the spotlight for this guy. But that's again, that's another here nor there thing. Like there's no no grounds for that, but that's how some people act. Like the, the officer shouldn't have the right. Uh, well, actually, change that from rights. You should not have the ability to decide when or when not they are not going to record an action. Because it sounds great, like, you know, like the Breon Taylor thing, that we finally got an information from him, but then you go and look at um, the shooting of Duncan Lemp, which there's theories that he could have been connected to the more right-wing uh, sort of militia movement, although his close friends and family have said nothing. Uh, but that that police department refuses to release the body cam footage after three months. Like, hasn't yet. And yet, in another case, where they needed to get it out there to get everyone calm, they released it right away for another event. So they obviously do have stuff. But that body cam footage should be accessible, especially if there's an investigation going on. It shouldn't just be hidden. It should be almost pushed forward. And it's disgusting that that's how uh, some people act about it. It's like... That's not a problem for uh, you. You just see what's going on, and the police are like, no, not going to get trigger. Get away from there. Oh, you got in here. Uh, no, play with that. Yeah, you can play with that. Sorry, tr- I had uh, Trigger's little rubber apple core that he loves to play with. He hasn't seen it in a while, and it was, uh, it was rolled up into a pile of cables that I didn't want him chewing. <laughs> Trigger's my dog. So then you go to that, and... There's all that stuff. So there's many things that could be done to make the police more accountable. And I think government agencies in general need to be more accountable to their populations that they serve. Um, The unfortunate and terrible thing is, will this event cause that way? So the protesting that followed up made sense, but then the rioting kind of swung the pendulum another way. Like, yeah, we get that there should be accountability from police, 
and people were like, yeah, we should question the police budgets and uh, I, like defunding the police. The idea is preposterous in certain ways. There are definitely avenues of police revenue seeking that they should be either restricted or like at least acknowledge. Even though the police are in the U.S. are still the, one of the most trusted institutions, like it's now taken a big hit from this. But then there's other arguments to be made uh, that um, the police forces have ridiculously militarized in the past two decades, like bought armored vehicles at a higher percentage, uh, have armed their police with more um, more uh, AR-15 uh, variants that have fully automatic capabilities, so more like an M-16 system versus a regular civilian-owned AR-15. Um, more of them are wearing heavier body armor. Um, you've got the uh, MRAPs that the uh, Department of Defense have been selling, um, sometimes fully automatic machine guns, and by that I mean like belt-fed weapons have been transferred to um, police departments. Sometimes heavier caliber sniper rifles have been transferred to departments from the military um, various other assets have been spread around. So yeah, there's, there's, there are definitely ways that the police have over-militarized in the past decade. And, we, and The question started after Ferguson, Missouri, when you see the police. Like, there was that picture in Ferguson where the SWAT team guy was on top of the Lenko Bearcat. He had a long-barreled Air 15 with a high-powered... Uh, well, I, let's not say it's high-powered, but like it looked like a variable optic that had... Um, capability from maybe one to eight power. I, I didn't know the exact model. I couldn't even, from that picture, you couldn't tell. But it had a bipod on it. It was sitting on a tripod and it had an off uh, canted, a 45 degree angle canted red dot sight. So he could go from precision shooting to quickly transitioning slightly sideways to get to the uh, close range shooting. And it's like, you've got a bipod on this gun. Take that off because it's sitting on a tripod right now. Um, I don't know, like, why you need a precision optic on that as well as, like, there were things, the gear th things that gun gear guys look at that and it's like, that's ridiculous. Then again, they do have the benefit of they're rarely walking with that gear on long distance. It's usually, like, they set up in one spot and they're there for a while. But it was just like, did he need all that stuff? Did he need an RDS sight on it? Is... Is he, as a sniper, going to be positioned in a building where a bad guy could potentially come up behind him? Wouldn't there be... Does, couldn't he just use a service pistol? Couldn't they, uh, you know, give him a precision service rifle? But then also give him a, like, you know, a standard carbine for close distance stuff that would just have a regular, like, red dot sight? Because they probably are getting a bunch of those from the U.S. government, from the Department of Defense as well. So there's stuff like that, so that's let's let's end the uh, discussions about that. Not discussion, but like let's slow everything down from that. Now let's go on to the next argument. Um, not next argument, but next little thing is about social media has really taken off from this, and social media is not the best place in the world to discuss really anything anymore, because everyone has hot takes that go very quickly, much like YouTube. Um, you see all these videos on YouTube and people are just like, you know, they get their, they got to get their, their five, 10, 15 minute thing in just to get the ad revenue. And they got to do like three or four videos a day. And I'm criticizing people who are good at doing that. Like, you know, you know if you can make that work for you, that's pretty good. Um, and people who are honest, like they do a story and they find out more evidence and they like 
addendum their old story and do a corrective story right after that they really push unlike some newspapers where the corrections are like swept under the rug and like you have to go back and historically find them like you know something will be front page news and the retraction and correction will be like in the back near the classifieds where nobody ever gets to it'll be there because they legally have to put it there but it's just it's not front page it's not we screwed up sorry here's how that story that we sensationalized turns out we were wrong but anyway, what I'm going is is that if you do want to have discussions on um, on various platforms, especially now that the social distancing is still a thing and you can't get gather in big groups of people, get um don't maybe do it out in public. And by that I mean I mean this way: don't start fights on Facebook on your wall. If you want to talk to somebody, debate them, and they don't want to. Maybe send them a private message and be like, hey, do you want to talk between you and me privately and what we say in this conversation between you and me stays between you and me? And if the, you both feel that you can honor that and neither of you divulge any information outside of that, you may actually come to a better place. But if it's a start, uh, somebody posts something like, oh, I should, you know, white people need to stay silent, but then like does all these big things about it. And then some person says, well, I, I disagree from this from this point of view because of this evidence evidence but i understand like the feeling or you know like there's various ways that people can try to spin the argument or there might be someone like ah, oh, you know you're starting a fight with somebody and the response is like why aren't you why aren't you speaking up why aren't you why aren't you being an ally and it's like well i don't have anything to add to the conversation so i think that's how it is is like if people don't want to speak don't force them to people who want to speak fine go ahead and if there's people you want to discuss with who don't want to speak out, do it through a pathway that both of you can communicate, but it's private if, if, if they want to consent to that. If they don't want to consent to any communication, well, I'm sorry. You have no right to force them into your box to talk to them. It, it's, a, it's the unfortunate thing of like the idea of the echo chamber, but the person who may be loudmouthing and blathering all their people may be, all their friends may be same thinkers as them, so they never hear an opposing point of view. Or the friends that maybe do have opposing point of views are like, oh, if I say something, it's going to be like I'm going to be ridiculed in this big group of people. Like some of them I know, some of them I don't. And then you also get the things of like how social media, um, how companies like approach social media. And some of them will completely go after employees. Like their HR departments will fire employees for having questionable social media posts. He goes, oh, it's damaging of the brand. It's like, well, is he the front line person of your brand? Isn't it, isn't it weird where um, we're just a guy, like, you know, a server at, at a Cracker Barrel who has, like, a private Facebook thing, says something to their friends, and, and somebody connects the dots, and all of a sudden they have to be fired from Cracker Barrel or something like that? It's like, it's like you went fishing. If they went onto the Cracker Barrel page and said, as an employee, blah, 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 it's like, yeah, the corporate America would have a thing. It's like what happened with the um, Harvard grad on TikTok. How it's part of the the ca cancel culture culture bullshit that's going on that I don't like on either side of the debate. Like I don't think it should be a thing. She does this parody video thing, and I have not watched it, but basically from how I've read about it, she went a little too far. But did she deserve to lose her job at Deloitte? No, and the conservatives and the people who opposed her who then, like, went spamming it and harassing that. That's disgusting. Like, you shouldn't destroy people that way. Like, the Internet's meant to spread proper 
unfortunately, like it's meant to spread information, um, both correct and incorrect information. But it shouldn't, like this vitriolic tool that the left and the right use to destroy people. Some of them who just do stupid things. Like, honestly, that was probably a stupid thing. And if she, like, her apology video on TikTok released later, which I also haven't watched. Apparently, she blames Trump and stuff like that. Like, uh, you should have you shut up after the first one. Or you should have said, like, I made a mistake. And people took it the wrong way. And I didn't take context. I don't deserve to lose my job for that. And I think most people should live that way. There's your life when you go home, and I don't think it's right. Like the problem with corporate America is we push to the point of, and by corporate I mean corporate America and corporate Canada, is how everything you do is a reflection on where you work. It's just they, and everyone tries to make it that way. They try to destroy you because you did something stupid at Walmart once, so now your job has to be in jeopardy. Your lifestyle has to be put in jeopardy because somebody disagreed with you. We just accept that nobody we're not the same. But people have various opinions. Like there will be some people who, who think that uh, you know, what's 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 a good one? Like you know, that let's do innocuous. Like some people will think that pink is the best color in the world. Should the people who think blue is the best color in the world hound out and destroy the pink loving people? No, no, that's terrible. That shouldn't happen. And that's a very light thing. There are way farther their directions to take that. And I don't don't want to really lead to that point. But that's what I'm saying is like, you know, take two favorite colors like pink and blue. Blue. The blue-loving people hate the pink people and seek to make sure that the pink-loving people can't get a job. It's terrible. And, and if the pink do the same in reciprocity, that's also bad. What should be is somebody sees somebody who loves pink over blue and they're like, all right, well, teach their own. Move on. As long as it's not harming anybody. And I want to state that harming has to be damage to yourself physically or damage to your property physically not perceived like oh i'm gonna cry because they said something that's just yeah like oh i'm offended so therefore i have to destroy them it's like shut the hell up i disagree with so many people i don't seek to silence them anymore i did when i was stupider now i look back as like no let them speak if they want to be idiots and just like me if i want to be an idiot i'll speak I may not be the best person in the world, but whatever. For the freedom of speech entitles us the ability to speak. Not everyone needs to hear it, though. And if people don't want to speak, the freedom of speech allows them to remain silent. Why do you think the there's Miranda rights and all that other stuff? Uh, I don't know what Canada is. Like Canada has like a version of Miranda where it's like, your right to remain silent. It's like, you have the right to not speak. And you have the right to speak. You have the right to associate how you want. Um, I think the thing is a vitriolic where, where some groups have gone basically anything who isn't them is so extreme in the other direction for some reason. It'd be like, uh, you know, how a conventional liberal in Canada versus a socialist. Like the socialist views the liberal is so heinous that they're terrible and throws them in with legitimate right-wing uh, ethno-state defenders, which are, which are, also ter- which are legitimately terrible people that should be vilified. And by that, I'm in vilified as in the idea that an ethnostate is a good idea for a nation. nation, and that there needs to be destruction of other groups that are outside of the state purview, like Nazism. And like, that's, that's something that needs to be challenged, challenged at every corner. But somebody who just says, 
I think somebody should have the right to, uh, you know, drive a car that's different than, like, you know, the, the government doesn't have the right to mandate um, that everyone drives a hybrid. And yet somebody thinks that's disgusting and that's the same thing. It's like, what? So I've gone on long enough about that. Basically, going back to the same point, if you want to have your debates, have your debates. If people who you want to debate don't want to debate, well, I'm sorry, you're not going to debate. Maybe you can get a private one going between them, but, like, if you are... Both of you don't spread that information out, or the group that has a private debate. Keep it private. Even if you come away disagreeing vehemently and think that's a terrible position, at worst just saying, okay, I don't know if I can be friends with you anymore, more after learning this about you. Yeah. But respectfully end it. Don't be like, okay, I'm going to post this on YouTube and like Facebook and all over the place. I'm going to put you in Twitter because 240 characters is enough to get my point across. But your rebuttal is going to need like an essay, like a 10-page essay. And nobody will read that because everyone will just look for my 240 characters. God. You've dumbed down society by trying to get to like 120 and now 240 characters. And now there's no, like the nuance is just gone in life because there's nuance in almost everything. Thing and you have to be basically getting like everyone's also got a subjective view on projects and problems of the world that may not work for everybody else. It may work for a selector of people. It may not work for anybody besides from the person who came up with the idea. And we we need to be willing to accept that there may not be one concrete answer for a problem. There may be a puzzle of solutions, like tons of puzzle pieces have to be put together, and the solution is the full puzzle. But if we like to think, uh, you know, if we keep going around with uh, every problem is a nail and every solution is a hammer, well, there's going to be a lot of things that aren't nails that get hammered. So now on to less serious matters. My original Wii U got the dreaded um, 160-1400 error code. <sighs> and I learned about this about mid... Well... April 7th was pretty much when I fully learned about it, when I tried to turn it on, because it's going to play Zelda Light Chronicles X and finish the game. Anyway, as of March 28th, Nintendo no longer repairs the Wii U's, which sucks. So I was just over a week out. If I had no- tried it mid-March and sent in a ticket and sent it in to re- repair it, I mean, granted, it would be right now sitting in a Nintendo repair facility because of COVID restrictions would have meant their repair facility in the East Coast um, around North America are still mostly shut down. Just um, There's probably like limited work being done, so it would, be, it would be sitting there in a long time. But at least it would be verified for repair. Anyway, I tried to... Uh, I did buy another Wii U. I tried to buy a new... Uh, what's it called? Um, CD case. Um, D- DVD drive to fix that. And the DVD drive works fine, but no, it looks like it's NAND memory or something like that that's screwing up, so I don't know what to do. Um, it could be maybe a problem on the on the CD board. It could be the full motherboard. I'm not willing to go into a deep dive. There's probably other... There, uh, I tried looking onto some of the forums where people were trying to repair that. Some guys have maybe gotten way farther than I have, but I don't know. It sucks. But now I backed up. Uh, I've got a emulated version that's kind of running. Um, I have a new Wii U that I'm playing it on that I'm actually farther ahead than I was. Um, I really hope they make a proper release for that game on the Switch, because then I'd gladly buy it again. 
And then I'm playing Definitive Edition of Xenoblade Chronicles as well as Xenoblade Chronicles 2 on the Switch. How did I miss Xenoblade Chronicles on the Wii and Wii U? I don't know. Like, it's great. And then Command & Conquer Red Alerts Remaster came out on PC June 5th. And, man, those are fun to play again. Uh, it really stuck up on me. Um, I knew about them when they were doing their pre-order campaign in March. But like the Canadian to American dollar was such a bad value where I couldn't do it. Like I wanted to buy the ma- like the big collector edition for 150 bucks, but then shipping was $40 and with exchange rate that turned out to like it was going to be like a $270 thing. I just couldn't 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 do it. Do it cuz in the United States, if you were in continental United States, like the shipping was almost free. Like it was like $5. So 150 bucks plus $5, that's not that much. But when the shipping was 40 bucks to Canada plus taxes and import fees because uh, there was going to be a UPS so the, you know the brokerage fee was going to be like you know probably 30 40 bucks plus uh plus the exchange rate which was like 1.4 at that point it was insane like 1.4 Can- Canadian dollars was an American dollar before they sold out on April 10th like it was not cheap I wanted it anyway Frank Klebacki and the uh, Tiberian Suns did an amazing job on the soundtrack and remastering of it. Uh, there's some old bugs there, but they're working on it to make it better. Um, looks great. How they uh, show off the new graphics uh, in real time was really funny on the first mission. Um, and I've also been playing with uh, some friends on Terraria, and we're about to go into hard mode. And I've been that's been fun. Let's slow down anyway, because it is July 4th. I'm considering uh, watching National Treasure now that I know it's on Disney+. Plus. Uh, I don't know why. there was. Well, actually, I do know why. I saw a meme yesterday of, like, like um, <laughs> you know, there's that meme of um, there's somebody uh, and then the person or somebody else, like, you know, no, uh, X, don't do this. Me, go, me does something else. X, no, and then me, super, really hard. It's like family at... Uh, it was a picture of um, it was everybody at Fourth of July party. Me after eight beers. Here's and picture of Nicholas Cage in uh, National Treasure. I'm gonna steal the Declaration of Independence. I'm like, okay, I have to watch that movie again because I did like the National Treasure series. Apparently, there's a third in development, which is kind of cool. I hope they get Justin Bartha back for that. Um, they were fun. They were fun. So anyway, um, hope. Uh, hopefully there'll be more episodes soon. I know it's been like a relatively like long shut off of myself to do these things, but just again, there's not much to talk about during COVID until now and information even involving COVID besides from caseload numbers from around the world. Like we're, we still like vaccines are still a ways away. We still don't have definitive information of where this all started. We don't know um, like at least mainstream press and uh, generally available information is still relatively restricted. And by restricted, I don't mean like on purpose restricted. Maybe in some cases there's some argument that it's purposely restricted, but it's just like we're not getting... It's like there's a story missing, uh, I would say. There's like like there's there's some point of this story, like a chapter that's gone. And hopefully that information is eventually found out and properly documented. And unless it's relating to China, I don't think it's nefariously hidden. If it's Chinese-related, there might be a nefarious hiding of some information. 
But if it's just literally the world doesn't know yet, and they're just the researchers who are scrambling to figure this out are also being are also scrambling to make the vaccine. So all their information they're getting, it's pretty much going to vaccine development and potentially cure development first, versus fi- f- like doing historical download down information um, on where this virus came from. Makes sense uh, how it is. I hope that we start like there's a timetable of like research on how COVID came to that's eventually like initiated somewhere. And maybe there is, maybe I haven't found it yet. Um, uh, Yeah, that's about it. Anyway, July 4th, it's freedom day. Time to end this stream. Uh, Not really a stream though. (laughs) Time to end my stream of thought in this episode of uh, from Corona to riots and back again. Uh, Anyway, yourself a good 4th of July, good weekend. Good next week. Uh, we'll be another one up. Ne- we'll be another one next Saturday. Um, hopefully, I mean, now that I'm able to at least discuss stuff with friends, uh, yeah, there's stuff like that. Oh yeah, and a uh, little thank you to Zoom and uh, Google Hangouts and all those other video meeting sites for sort of keeping us sane, um, being able to virtually meet with your with uh, friends and family when it was bad and you couldn't travel. Um, anyway, and also. So, like, hopefully uh, the world gets better of this pretty quickly. Looks like in some places it's happening. Other places, not so much. So, from the Rona to riots and back again. Bye.